0: Well, Todd, we're we're back again, and had that uh, very interesting insight. Uh, your stories from ambulance service—that was a neat episode. And you had mentioned that we're going to look at your graduation and then leaving leaving Boston. So why don't we why don't we get into that?
1: Okay, well, thank you, Rob. Again, um, I uh, when I drove home after our last session, I thought maybe some of your listeners think I was a kook uh, by telling those ambulance accounts. Um, and i just want to add i could i mean as 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 uh, haunting as those ambulance accounts were if i had started to tell some of the hilarious things that happened on the ambulance service i i could tell you uh, i'd probably be given an r rating uh, as far as appropriate for only restricted audiences of some of the stuff that we got uh, called out on well
0: and maybe anyway, maybe sometime we'll we'll circle back to those after we've uh, uh, gone through the life and if we need to spice things up a bit we can recall on all those. right
1: <laughs> yes all right well there we, i've got a few i could share with you so anyway um uh, mortuary school as i've mentioned was a, a wonderful experience for me i i i was um you know, not a scholar by any means, but I was now actively, I was actively pursuing my dream of becoming a a licensed funeral director, an embalmer. So while Mortuary College had its blurbs and the radar screen, uh, while it had its uh, issues at times, overall, it was a, a wonderful experience and uh, so, in in um, August, we graduated. But um, the October before, so in October of '72, uh, the National Funeral Directors Convention was held in Boston. That was the first um, that was the first NFDA convention I'd ever been to and my boss, um, t- to his credit, he asked me if I wanted to go along with him, and we we went, it was at the Heinz Auditorium, there on uh, the back bay of Boston on Boylston Street, and I'd never seen anything like that in my life, right? I, I had won the science fair in high school, I think I had mentioned to the listeners when I was in high school on embalming, uh, and I'd gone to the Iowa State Science Fair, but I'd never been to a funeral directors uh, um, convention, and certainly not something like NFDA. Now, back in the early '70s, when I went there, you know, you know, there there was probably not an urn on the floor right? There was not a cremation there, you know, there was no cremation caskets on the floor. Uh, Marcellus Casket Company would have 60 caskets uh, on their display. Um, And so the bulk of the convention was embalming companies, uh, chemical companies, uh, casket companies, uh, burial garment companies had big displays and vault companies. uh, Remember, Wilbert had um, Wilbert had, um, I, I just couldn't believe it. Wilbert had, uh, they hadn't invented the bronze thing yet, but the top vault was a copper triune, then stainless steel SST, and then the continental, they hadn't even invented the Venetian yet. So it went, um, it went to copper triune SST continental Monticello. And that was, that was basically it. And they had a monarch at the bottom of the food chain. But what, what really struck me was when I was at NF... Two things struck me at my first NFDA convention was they had these great big 4,000-pound vaults up on circular rollers, right, on the display that the vault would, would go in a circle, right, like a merry-go-round, like a carousel and 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 they had these bright lights on the vaults, and they'd covered them with glitter and And what really struck me was they had these drop dead gorgeous models uh, with slits up their dresses and spike heels, and you know their their um, uh, tight fitting formal dresses and perfectly manicured fingernails, long, sexy hair etc standing by the vaults all of them and and they were going around they were going around in a circle with a damn burial vault and and i remember when i first saw that i you know because i'm from iowa you know a little town so i was easily impressed with this stuff i remember sitting there looking at these drop dead gorgeous women right and i thought hot damn this is great (laughs) this is this is one of the greatest things i've ever seen in my life and the other display that really impressed me was hydro hydro chemical company they make some good fluid there no doubt i use their fluid and they uh you don't hear much about them but they make some good stuff they had their embalming fluid in a pyramid and they had you know they had dyes in a bunch of these fluids so Different colors, and 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 they had them in a big pyramid, right? Just like uh, like a, um, like a wedding reception, like a champagne dispenser, big pyramid. And behind it, they had a blinking light, and and so that when the light would blink, you'd see all these multicolored embalming fluid. Isn't that crazy? That I, you know, after all these years, that is what I don't remember what Dodge had. All right, i don't remember what esco had i don't remember what pierce had but i remember hydrol and their blinking embalming fluid bottles you know so anyway i'm up there and i'm like i i'm just like uh i'm just like i've died and gone to heaven Um uh, because uh oh, the caskets were all over the place and and back then you know you had these casket companies You had Merritt Casket Company out of Chicago. They made one of the most beautiful caskets I've ever laid my eyes on. You had the Chicago Casket Company. They made a pillar stainless steel, uh, brush stainless steel, pillar hardware with a powder blue tufted interior in it. I'm telling you, it was just gorgeous. You had Marcellus, which then you had Clarksburg. You had Springfield Metallic, you had the Belmont Casket Company, you had the National Casket Company. Uh, they were all over the place. And and it was uh, for a young guy like me. And then add to it the cars, right? You know, Hess and Eisenhart, uh, Miller Meteor, Sayers and Scoville. Um, my goodness sakes alive, uh, the, I mean the vehicles, uh, and they were showing ambulances back then, Miller Meteor had a 64 inch high top. Uh, and I'm telling you, the lights on these things, I'm not so sure the care was that sophisticated on the funeral service ambulance, but the lights on these vehicles were extremely impressive when you would go, and particularly at night, when you were going on a call, you know? And so, anyway, at the convention, I met this funeral director from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And he and I started to talk. Um, and I had never been to Wyoming in my life. I, I had been to Denver. I flew out there to get a body one time when I was first starting school, but I'd never been to Cheyenne. And uh, so he and I began to talk. He said, well, why don't you come to dinner with my wife and I? Uh, they were there. I think NFDA was four days back then. And so we had dinner every night. And he said to me, now. I don't remember what I was making when I was working at the funeral home in Boston, but I wasn't you know, it wasn't wasn't an impressive salary. And also I think I had mentioned that the one funeral home across the street was run by Al Marsh and Al Marsh was part of the Masonic Orders in Winthrop, the little town we were in. And he buried all the Masonic, he did, it. He, uh, Al had a lock on the Masonic lodge, there's no doubt. And I had done work by that time in Molay, uh, as a kid, a young teenager. And so the plan was, was that I would stay with the funeral home I was at and then go across the street and start to be groomed to take over the Alpha, Alfred B. Marsh funeral home. And I was kind of attracted to that. Now, Al was only doing 50 calls a year, right. So that would have been a disastrous decision uh, given what's happened in funeral service. And I think I mentioned to you when I went there, there were five funeral homes in that town. Now there are two, right? So and Al Marsh isn't one of them. Uh, so th- that would have been not a good decision for me to make. But anyway, the guy in Cheyenne, uh, offered me nineteen thousand dollars a year as a salary, and I I I jumped at it right because I'd already uh, kind of understood that salaries were a little dicey for apprentices, and so I went. Um, I took that's the second job I took sight unseen. Right. When I went to Boston, I'd never been to Boston in my life to go to mortuary school. They hired me through the mail. And so a year later, I'm headed to Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'd never been there. Um, and so I remember I drove out from Boston to Cheyenne. That's good. just absolutely like Mars and Venus, right? The Boston to Cheyenne. And uh, and so I got involved with the funeral home in Cheyenne. There were basically two funeral homes in Cheyenne. And when I got there, the fellow that I was working for was the county coroner. Cuz Wyoming and I I still believe it's true that Wyoming is under the coroner system. And for your listeners that are unfamiliar with that, the coroner system can be, not always, can be an elected job in the county, right? So the coroner uh, in, like Kentucky has a coroner system. Some counties in Tennessee have the coroner system where if you get enough signatures on the ballot, then you are enough signatures, you can get on the ballot to run and it's similar to running for the county treasurer, the county um, sheriff, uh, the county clerk, uh, and so my boss had been the county coroner uh, in Cheyenne for uh, 16 years by the time I got out there. His um, approach to this was to deputize his licensed people, as deputy county coroners and I got deputized. And I'm leading somewhere on this issue with the coroner's office because it was one of the toughest jobs that I've ever been involved with. Um, You know, the Wyoming law was if you hadn't seen a physician in x amount of hours let's say 36 hours from uh, when they found you know if you had not been under a physician's care in the last 36 hours you automatically determined a, um, a coroner's call so the coroner was uh, this legal elected position and it was it was powerful because the coroner had the authority to arrest the sheriff so technically in the county systems the coroner was the most powerful law enforcement officer in, in uh, elected uh, and of course you could be tossed out of office but the other side is is that the funeral director's just like running the ambulance service funeral directors are the ones that usually historically ran for the coroner for several reasons number 1 they ended up getting called anyway because they had the vehicle and they had the facilities where you could keep a dead body. They had the room where an autopsy could be performed, et cetera. So what they did do was they appointed a coroner physician. So in Laramie County, Wyoming, where Cheyenne's at, uh, there was a man named Dr. Henry Sumagari, and he ran a pathology associates, Um, organization and he was the county uh, coroner's physician and he then um, appointed his associates as assistant coroner physicians. And those are the people um, for your audience listening that did the autopsies. Those are the people that came up with the cause of death. It was the coroner who was um, required to go to court. Now, that all sounds really nice and tidy, except the calls that you would get on. Um, As I said, there were two funeral homes in Cheyenne, and they did not particularly like each other. And so every four years, these two funeral homes would go to battle on who was gonna get to be elected the county coroner. And it was kind of mudslinging. There was a looking back at it. I, I think it was maybe pushing the envelope a little bit. But the cases that we would get on, there was a air force base in Laramie County called the Fe Warren Air Force Base. And I remember, and the, and even though the air force base was a federal installation. If somebody was killed or died on the Air Force Base, the federal government does not have any provisions for coroner investigations. That is solely a county issue. Same same theory goes on vital statistics, right? The federal government doesn't have any authority in filing death certificates right? That's done in the county where the death occurs, no matter where your residency is at. Now your listeners are probably well familiar with all this, but my point being is that when something would happen on the Air Force Base, then we we were called to go on a federal installation as the county coroner. Now it was it was it was horrible some of the calls that we'd get on the the inhumanity of human beings to other human beings i found was staggering now i hadn't been to seminary by that time i was still and i didn't i was a young man and i didn't have a philosophical foundation about how to approach when I saw and was confronted with pure evil. And I give you an example of this. I don't mean to upset your listeners, but, you know, career and funeral service is not Pollyanna. All right. There's stuff that happens. So we get this call one night to go out to the Air Force Base. It was probably around midnight. We get there and the County Sheriff was there the military police were there naturally. And we go into this house and it, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. This man who was uh, in the service stationed at the air force base was having this relationship with this woman. This woman had a two year old child and somehow or another, this man um, took a dislike to this two-year-old child, and they had steam heat radiators in these barracks, these uh, married housing. Not well, they weren't married, but they're living together on the on the base. Um, my, my, my father had steam heat in our house when I was a kid, big old iron radiators that fill up with hot, scalding hot water and off the heat would come. They had chained that two-year-old to one of these radiators. They had turned the thermostat up as high as it would go. And they had gone to see a movie. I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. It was one of those times where I just stood there. No, everybody was just in stunned silence because they basically baked this child. Oh, that's
0: horrible, Todd.
1: It was horrible. <clears throat> it was horrible. Now, I don't say that to shock, right? Because many of your listeners are veteran funeral professionals so they understand i'm not doing this to shock i'm doing it to give i'm sharing this because some of these cases that we got on it was just unbelievable some of them were uh, utterly senseless right for instance there was a section of cheyenne which was uh, on the south side of town, south of the Union Pacific Railway railway tracks. And we would get calls over there that there'd been a murder. And you'd go into the house and hear this woman's been shot by her husband. Uh, most of the time it was alcohol related. <clears throat> and the reason that he shot her was because the the checkbook didn't balance there was an overdraft in the checking account we had a murder one night over there where the reason that the man gave because he shot his wife was because she he she flushed the toilet and it overflowed and she didn't know it he walked in to use it, and he stepped in all this stuff, and he sh- he shot her. It the the years that we had the coroner's office now, now, from a business standpoint, the reason that the two funeral homes slugged it out every four years to get the coroner's job was because you'd add sixty more funerals to your volume, right? So that was the conflict of interest right that nobody was immune to that right and that's why these guys slug this thing out and it would get down and dirty now a new coroner got elected though um who i knew pretty well and he became a good friend of mine he was at the other funeral home his name was roger radomski um and he got elected coroner and he beat he beat my employer so we lost the coroner's job while while i was out there but then roger got fired or roger quit at the other funeral home and so my boss hired him where i was at and so the coroner's office is back at our funeral home it was crazy how that stuff Stuff went. I mean, it's much smoother now than it was. But Roger, you know, he was very good. He was a good uh, county coroner. Uh, He came up with a form that he would hand to a bereaved person on any call that he went on. And the three funeral homes there were technically there were three funeral homes in Cheyenne. There were Schraders uh, over on. um, or across street from the Capitol. There was the funeral home I worked at. And then there was a third one called the Capitol Mortuary that John Abrams operated. And they might have done six funerals a year, right? So, I mean, I, I don't even know what John was thinking about. Uh, his wife was uh, some bigwig in the Cheyenne public school system. But he had a little funeral home over there called the Capitol Mortuary. But anyway, Roger had all three funeral homes listed there alphabetically. And, um, and so Capital Mortuary was the first one, right? And uh, nobody ever checked, and he had little boxes there and he just he just handed him the clipboard, say, who do you want me to call? You just check who you, and so all of that shenanigans with bodies, you know, who's got what, you know, that really got under control while Roger was the uh, county coroner, he ended up owning the funeral home. Um, you know, yeah, you know. So it was that time that uh, I got, uh, I got, uh, I. This might have been the biggest bonehead decision of my career, and I got it while I was out in Cheyenne, and I got it in my head. I wanted to buy my own funeral homes. Now I, I'm here to say to your listening audience, I'm trying to be candid, here's the statement. I think there should be a law that no 23-year-old should be able to buy a funeral home, right? I was 23 years old when I bought my first funeral homes, and I'm living witness that no 23-year-old should be buying a funeral home, All right? I knew how to embalm, I knew how to do funerals. I knew how to put caskets up on display. I knew how to run visitations. I knew how to get a body in and out of a building, but I had no clue whatsoever on how to operate a funeral home. But I was highly ambitious. I I don't think I'm as ambitious as I used to be, but I was highly ambitious when I was 23 years old. I wanted my own funeral home, because I had convinced myself, which was totally a fabrication of my own imagination, that nobody did funerals as good as I did, that nobody was a better embalmer than Todd Van Beck. Of course, that's absolutely fantasy land, right? All right. There was absolutely no substance for that, except my own arrogance, uh, my own ego, and, and truthfully, Rob, my own insecurities. Right. When I meet people that behave very boisterously about how wonderful they are, it reminds me of me. And it wasn't because I was a man of strength. It was because I was a bundle as I was a bundle of screw up insecurities uh, from uh, my childhood. And and uh, so anyway, um, my father, of all things, was reading the Des Moines Register. Now I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. So to get to Iowa, you got to go across the whole state of Nebraska. And he finds this funeral home for sale in a little town called Belle Plaine, Iowa. And there was a branch in Blairstown. There were two funeral homes, two buildings. And I, I drove over, we drove over, and we went to visit. And this is crazy. You want to talk about a very weak, shallow business deal. The man who was selling the funeral homes, his daughter, his daughter, (laughs) it almost almost sounds ridiculous now to to tell you this, you know, but (laughs) the man who was selling the funeral, his daughter was the marijuana French connection go to person in that town to get pot. okay? Now I, I'm not here to judge it, but you know this is a little Iowa town of 3,000 people, right? I mean, marijuana was like heroin right, to these people, right, this is, this is Satan on earth coming to town, and the funeral director, who actually was held at a higher standard than some of the clergy were in our town, I mean, right, the the clergy came and went, right, they were gone in five years, but the undertaker was, you know, and so anyway, she gets arrested for drug possession, and he panics, right, because it's <laughs> this vintage funeral stuff. And again, I'm not laughing because it was funny. But he panics. She gets arrested. And the next month, instead of doing his usual five or six funerals, he does none. Right? So he, this is vintage funeral director thinking, he immediately assumes that the reason he's not getting any funerals is because his his daughters, the Pablo Escobar of Belle Plaine, Iowa, right? It was a <laughs> damned <So> in the damnedest <laughs> thing. So in the midst of this, I stumbled into this thing, and he wanted $167,500. Can you believe that? two gigantic buildings, property on corner lots with garages and vehicles, inventory, furniture. Uh, They wanted $167,500, and I didn't have a dime. What's really sad about this story and kind of pitiful of how it all went was that I never actually owned the funeral home myself, totally, right? I I never actually owned the funeral home totally by myself because we couldn't come up with the money. He wanted $20,000 down payment. Now, my dad didn't have that kind of money. I didn't have that kind of money, but my dad but but a businessman in this little town who owned a department store downtown had been a part-time helper on the ambulance at the funeral home. And he knew that the guy that owned the funeral home's daughter was, a, you know, a illicit drug dealer of marijuana, uh, you know, danger to society. Uh, uh, you know, you know, John Gotti's coming to town, right? That bell Plains going to become, you know, the Mexico city of Iowa uh, clearing house for all kinds of drugs, see? And so he found an investor, and the investor was the doctor. <laughs> all right? So so if you think that the public thinks there's a conflict of interest <laughs> when the funeral home's running the ambulance service, just let your imagination go that when they find out the local physician owns 50% of the damn funeral home. Right. Right. So, so my dad, to his credit, God love him, but of course the thing is failed miserably. Uh, He got a um, loan for $10,000 on the house that we had. And the doctor in the town threw in $10,000. So we put $20,000 down in October of 1975. um, We went uh, to uh, that town to run that funeral home. And, um, so my goal, which I'm ashamed to say, was my goal was to annihilate my competitor. All right. My goal now for, for 70 years, there'd been two funeral homes in that town, right? They, they got, they moved along that funeral home that, did the Roman Catholics? I did the Masonics, but oh no, not Todd, right? I'm gonna go in there and shake the tree, um, Todd. Yeah. Before
0: we get into the details, why don't we just wrap up this uh, okay. episode, and then we can get into the details of uh, of ownership of your first
1: funeral home. Okay, great. Does that sound great. okay? That sounds good, Rob. Yep. yep.
0: Yep. Okay. Well, this what a what a story, uh, going from Boston to cheyenne and now to uh, iowa well what a exciting couple years there for sure we'll uh, we'll let's continue the story on uh in our next episode thank you you bet